Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. From hidden messages that were sent during the American Revolution to the countless amounts of encrypted data that we send across the internet, cryptology has played a crucial role in how we communicate with one another for hundreds of years. Today with our guest, Laura Nelson, we'll share the importance of introducing cryptology and cyber safety to our kids. Laura Nelson joined the National Cryptologic Foundation as president and CEO in early 2019, following a 37-year career at the National Security Agency. While at NSA, Laura was a member of Defense Intelligence Senior Executive Service, or DICES, for over 15 years and led multiple technical organizations in a variety of mission areas. Laura holds a Master of Science in Electrical Engineering from the Johns Hopkins University and a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from Virginia Tech. Thanks so much for joining us, Laura. Hi, it's really great to be here today. <laughs> now, I like to start our interview usually with a basic question. Could you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? Sure, I guess I'll go back to high school. And this is kind of how I ended up getting into engineering. I had this physics teacher. Mr. Hewlett. Mr. Hewlett was a character who used to sing to us all the time in class. He was just a lot of fun and he made physics a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed it. I think, you know, up to that point, I hadn't really considered what I was going to, you know, what I was going to do when I grew up. And he really started twisting my arm on my future and said, you know, you really should be an engineer. You, know, you really should consider it. I said, me, an engineer? Are you kidding? And he said, uh, no, 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 I'm serious. You need to pursue engineering. And he's also the one who kind of threw out the idea of going to Virginia Tech. And I, I'd never heard of it before at that point. It wasn't as well known of a school as it is today. So I think he really had a great influence on me. And that's how I ended up, you know, going to Virginia Tech, becoming an engineer. He sounds like a very persistent fellow. <laughs> he was very persistent and fun. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. I want someone yeah. to sing to me while I'm learning <laughs> physics. So you went to Virginia Tech and then could you share how you went from there to becoming interested in working at the National Security Agency or NSA? Yeah, sure. When I was at Virginia Tech, I always knew that I wanted to be a cooperative education student. And that was because, again, I was going into engineering and I really wasn't sure what I want to do, if I was going to like it. So I had to find something, some way to work that out and find out you know, whether it was an internship co-op. But back in those days, co-op programs were really big. And so I needed to find a place to work at a co-op program. But the other problem was that I didn't have a car. So wherever I was going to work, I was going to have to find transportation. So the idea in co-op would be that you go to school for a semester and then you go home and or work for a while or, you know, just go someplace and work for a semester and then come back. Well, it turns out my father worked at the National Security Agency and they had all kinds of opportunities for co-ops and they really had a nice program because it allowed you to, for each semester, you could change jobs. You could explore different types of work and there was so much, so much to do there. So I applied for the job. And I liked it, but the real reason was I had, to, I had a ride to work. <laughs> so that was really important. So I think that's how my journey at NSA began, because I was a cooperative education student there and had a ride. And I have to worry about getting a car or transportation, but it worked out pretty well. What was your dad like as a carpool buddy? 
Oh, he was pretty good. And, you know, he was, he was fun. And then he got me involved in a van pool as well. So we would ride together in a van pool. So, you know, like 10 people had a driver and we go meet up someplace in Baltimore city and then we take off and, you know, go to work every day. So it was entertaining because there were a bunch of characters in the van as well. So it was fun. I, I like to be in that van too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so. Now, can you describe some of the early challenges you faced in your career as you headed into the NSA? Yeah, sure. So, you know, when you start your career and I was so, I was naive. I mean, I knew when I went to school, I would look around and I was like, oh, there are too many women in here. And then I went into the workplace and I think it was worse. <laughs> More women in my classes than there were in the workplace. And you suddenly look around and you say, well, I'm the only woman in the room. So at first, you know, you think, is it a challenge? It could be depending on how you handle it. I figured out pretty quickly how to handle it. I figured out you couldn't be shy in retiring. You had to kind of speak up and let them know you were here and you had, had something to say and had to be listened to. But, you know, I think one of the funnier stories I had from this was I was going on these interviews to go from one co-op tour to the next. So at the end of the summer, you know, you go and you interview around to get your job for the next one. And there was an organization everybody wanted to go to because they did really, really cool, spooky work. And everybody wanted to go to that organization. So I went on this interview and the guy was a very serious, serious guy. And so I first I was like oh because I'm kind of bubbly and happy and anyway he said oh so you go to Virginia Tech I said yes I do he said well my son goes there turns out I knew his son and it wasn't the same as his dad let's just say that (laughs) he's a very different guy than his dad but anyway he goes on talks to me for a little bit and then he makes the comment he says I once had a female engineer as a co-op in here I had my reservations at first but she was adequate and so (laughs) excuse me I'm sorry Adequate? What? Adequate. So, <laughs> I was a little shocked. I think shell shocked. And I thought, I don't think I'm going to go to work in this office. <laughs> I don't think this would be very much fun. So anyway, I knew the woman he was talking about too, by the way, and she was really sharp. She was, she was not just adequate, trust me. <laughs> and so I decided that that was not the place for me. So I went and found a place where it'd be more accepting. And I had a great great co-op tour, learned a lot and and it was fun. So anyway, so that was just the kind of things you would face, you know, suddenly you're the engineer trying to get heard, trying to be respected, but you know, I quickly figured out how to overcome those challenges. That's great. And that's encouraging to hear because I feel like those challenges still exist in a lot of STEM careers. I, I faced that in college too, and got scared away. It took me several years to figure out how to be the only woman in the room or the yes. only woman of color in the room too. Right, right. And I think I always say to people, like I mentored a lot of young women throughout my career and, you know, it was let your voice be heard, right? You have to make your voice heard and you have to find your way of doing it. And it's not the same for everybody, but you got to really make yourself be heard. And if, you know, they're going around the room and they're ignoring you and you say, no, I have something to say, please listen to me. And it's uncomfortable sometimes, but you know, that's the way you're going to make it. <laughs> so, And it comes with practice basically, right? So yes. the more yeah. you do it, the easier it is the next time. Yeah. I think the term I use is find your voice, you know, however that may be. So, yeah. Now today we're talking about cryptology and, you know, you're very involved in the foundation when it comes to cryptology. <laughs> so what does cryptology mean to you? 
So most people think of cryptology as code making and code breaking, and that's the very limited definition of it. But I think of it much more broadly, especially when it comes to the mission of the National Security Agency. And we talk about the cryptologic mission. And that means, you know, at NSA, we have the offensive mission and the defensive mission. The offensive mission is those cyber, you know, those people who are involved in, you can call it cyber, cryptology, whatever those different fields are to collect intelligence from signals, however those may be collected, of our adversaries, right? Who are you know, foreign intelligence targets and how we go about doing that. Now that's a lot of times you think of that's the engineering, that is code breaking, that's all those things. But when I think of it, it's more than that because you also need linguists to understand what they're capturing. It also means the analysts to analyze that, right? I was never an analyst. I was always on the, you know, the engineering side, but it's really that broad mission of collecting intelligence that I think about. Then on the defensive side, NSA also has a defensive part of the mission, and that's how we help secure the government's communications and how we put in place those techniques, those capabilities, so that national security systems remain secure. So NSA plays both of that, and I think of all of that as the cryptologic mission. And then with that, what's your mission at the National Cryptologic Foundation? Yeah, so, you know, the National Cryptologic Foundation was founded over 25 years ago as a National Cryptologic Museum Foundation. So it started as an organization to help provide artifacts and funding for the National Cryptologic Museum, which is dedicated to honoring our cryptologic heroes and, you know, talking about the history of cryptology. That is owned and operated by NSA. So there's things as a government organization that they can and can't do as far as funding. So we provided some of those resources that the government couldn't necessarily provide. Well, every year that has really broadened our mission. And we really now have a focus. We still support the museum. Don't get me wrong. It's still there. We still support it. But now we really think about what is the future of that cryptologic mission? And what is the future of that cyber, broad cyber mission in general? And how do we get kids K to 12? How do we get them interested in this career field? You know, first teaching them how to be cyber safe, cyber aware. How do you do that? And then maybe pique their interest to pursue one of the cyber related fields. It could be anything from being a cryptologist to, you know, being a cybersecurity expert to, you know, hardcore computer science. There's a whole variety of things they could do. But how do we help do that? So we advocate for that. We provide resources to that. We connect the dots. And the other part of our mission is we have a very, very robust relationship with the National Security Agency, and we serve as a public platform for the agency so that they can bridge the space between academia, industry, government. So we serve as that platform to take on topics of national security interests that they can then bring their expertise to the table and talk about things more broadly. So it's kind of a twofold mission, threefold if you count the museum as well. I was going to say that's several different missions with very yes. different goals. <laughs> yes. And the new, the most recent, when I talk about convening and doing that, that's very new. We're just starting off on that. We haven't even had a true convening yet. So, but it's coming. <laughs> gotcha. So. Let me know when that is. <laughs> now, <laughs> since this is an ed tech podcast, let's dive deeper in the education piece. And you mentioned cyber safety. Just for those people out there who aren't aware, what is cyber safety? We talk about cyber safety all the time. We talk about data care. One of the organizations that support us, they really promote the idea of data care. So we think of this as something similar to your healthcare, right? What do you do to help keep yourself healthy? 
What are the things you do to do that? You, you eat well, you get exercise, you do all of those things. Well, when you think about cyber safety, it's kind of like, how do you take care of that data? And how do you make yourself safe out in the internet? You know, making sure that you don't, don't click here <laughs> because just because somebody said it was a good idea to click here, sometimes you have to not click here. And I think about as how to protect ourselves and make ourselves safe operating in a digital world. Now, some adults can think, oh, I mean, that's a concern if you have a bank account or something like that, that you have to protect. But why should we care about cyber safety and cryptology and education for young kids all the way through high school and forward from there? Right. And I think it goes way back into elementary school when you think about kids have their hands on devices at a very, very young age, right? And from the time they have that device, I see it all the time, you know, sitting in a restaurant, they've got some kind of tablet or something in their hands, or they're playing with their parents' phones. And maybe, maybe at some point it's too young for them to understand what they should and shouldn't do. By the time they're in elementary school, they should be getting some good advice and some good lessons on what you should do. Uh, what if there's somebody who's out there cyber stalking, right? Somebody who's out there, you know, a pedophile or something. How do they know, you know, strangers versus good people, right? Stranger danger. Know, you know, when they can respond to somebody and when they can't. And you have to, you know, put those lessons in there really early in their lives because this is how they're going to be operating for the rest of their lives, right? You know, I grew up without, we didn't have computers when I grew up. <laughs> so I didn't have to worry about that. Just had to you know, worry about, you know, real stranger danger out in the streets. But in this case, they really have to think about how they keep themselves safe, keep their information safe. Think about what they do when they're online as they get into high school. Don't post that. That's probably a bad idea. You know, it does live there forever, right? It goes on your permanent record, whether you want to believe that or not. So I think really making young students understand why it's so important to keep that presence, you know, pretty clean and think about what they say out there. You know, one of the things that we talk about people when it comes to the national security fields and, you know, what should people do about, you know, to get ready for that? I said, one of those is live a clean life, right? And that includes your online presence, live a clean life because otherwise you're not going to get a job. <laughs> so you have to really think about that. And the reason I would say to understand at least the basics of cryptology is because that underpins everything, right? That underpins all of the security, everything that we have that underpins the internet. Just having a basic understanding of how that works, you know, how those transactions are protected. So you understand when I'm, you know, sending money here and, you know, when I'm Venmoing money to so-and-so, how is that transaction protected so that somebody else can't just go into my bank account or whatever? So I think just having basic understanding is important. And of course, if you really want to go and really go dive in, you can do that too. <laughs> right. And I think it's so important for them to understand the cryptology piece because it, maybe they can help identify, wait, what is a secure or safe platform to use versus unsafe, right? Because there's Correct. definitely red flags if you hop yes. into a browser and you're like, wait a second, this looks very Whoa, suspicious. Look good, right? <laughs> Let me look and see what that really directed me to before I go any further. Or you get that email. Oh, I was getting from Amazon. Your account is about to be suspended. And, you know, first thing I do is look and say, who's this really from? Oh, okay. It's not Amazon. <laughs> well, I've gotten so many phone calls from my father freaking out because oh. he gets it and he's not sure. And he yeah. hasn't had the education yeah. to tell the difference. And right. so I've had to discern for them. And I've heard now that there's people targeting middle school and high school students on social media because they know that they might not have the background. And they won't know the text. difference. 
Oh. Yeah. And they really have to think about that, right? Think about what they're doing and, and where they're going. You know, it's funny, whenever I get one of these notices from Amazon, I just go log in my Amazon account. Yeah, everything looks pretty good. I think we're okay. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> I don't click the link. That's right. Yeah. Verify from the known yeah. trusted site. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go in the safe way. So. That's right. That's right. So now that we're talking about why it's so important, what's the best way to introduce cryptology and cyber safety to young kids? I think there's a lot of ways to do it. So at the NCF, we've been really thinking about at the National Cryptologic Foundation, how we really introduce that. And so, you know, one of the things that we noted that was that there really wasn't a good cybersecurity curriculum out there. So we invested in developing cybersecurity guidelines for high school, high school curriculum, and then a follow onto that was actually developing the curriculum. So that's something where if somebody really wants to consider cybersecurity as a career field, this is a full curriculum. Teachers can provide that to their students. It's at teachcyber.org. So it's something if you really want to follow up on, you can see what that curriculum looks like. That's our partner that helped develop that with us. And so that's one way we can do it, but that's very traditional teaching, right? That's basically, you know, in the classroom kind of training. But the other things we've thought about, so we developed a middle school book and the booklet's very, it's a short booklet. And that's something that just takes the basics and explains, describes data care to, to kids. And so we have that and that's available both as a digital and physical platform. So it's something we can hand out, but also, you know, nice glossy, but also in a digital flipbook form. We also have another way to reach them is through podcast series and <laughs> something like this, right? And where we bring in people who are in the field to talk to kids and talk to them about, you know, what that means, bring a concept of it and explain it to the kids and explain, you know, how that person got involved in this type of field, you know, what they do. And so we have that, that's another way. We're just thinking of multiple platforms. And then I think the other that we really are trying to, to work towards now is gaming. So have the kids learn without knowing they're learning, right? gamify it, right? So even the booklet we're doing, we're putting a game to it so that, you know, there's little challenges you can do and then you're learning, but you don't really know you're learning. And maybe when it's all done, you've kind of said, oh, oh, I just got a lesson in cybersecurity and I didn't even mean to do that. So, so that's another way we try to reach the population. I love the gaming piece. I mean, that's our bread and butter, right? Kids learn how to code with our games. By the way, I cite your curriculum in our curriculum as a resource because it's oh, really solid oh, awesome. stuff. Check it out. We also developed like escape puzzles and other puzzles for cryptology purposes or other activities. So it's engaging, right? It's not just a top-down consumption of just random information and they don't know why it's important to them. Right, right. That's right. And then if they put it in the game and then it just suddenly, maybe you can use some, you know, some real world life examples, you know, something that really could happen. So that's how we, how we do that. That's exciting. Now, how could cybersecurity and cryptology impact the future of ed tech? What do you see down the line? Uh, so I think that, first of all, at a minimum, every student should have a cyber safety course. When I say course, it could be just a one-day lesson on cyber safety and cybersecurity. I think every grade, every, you know, from elementary to high school, if nothing else, at a bare minimum, they should have that as one unit for one day. Today is cybersecurity day, and you all are going to think about how you're going to protect your data and live safely on the internet. So I think that that's number one, and that's not necessarily ed tech, that's all ed, right? That's an all education approach. 
no matter what topic you're teaching, somehow it needs to be incorporated into that. But then when I think about other ed tech, I think that this can become a, like a fundamental piece of everything that happens in ed tech, whether it's computer science courses or you're taking engineering courses in K through 12, you know, mostly high school type of activities, that some level of cybersecurity is factored into that. And maybe some basic cryptology as well. Just the basics of understanding that. And I think it could be incorporated into the courses that are taught today so that it just becomes routine. It doesn't always have to be a separate curriculum, but that some of the basics of this are incorporated into every course we take. So when you come out of it, you've learned a little bit about being safe out in the world, as well as you know whatever the primary purpose of that course was. Right. And what you're saying almost in the future is that they're discussing and learning about cybersecurity, cryptology every year in school. Because I think right now people think, oh, we covered that in sixth grade. Check. They're set for life. But why are you saying it needs to be more than that? Because I think that, you know, yeah, you take, you know, U.S. history in 11th grade, right? So, you know, I covered it. But I think that everything you do today, everything we all do is somehow tied to the internet, right? And that changes. It doesn't stay static. Just look at what we were doing, you know, three years ago versus what we're doing today, right? And think about how much we do video discussions today as opposed to three years ago. So you think about how much that changes over the years. And it's something that just has to be ingrained as part of everyday teaching. You know, you can pick the course that it can go into, but something that all kids take every year, whether it's part of your math curriculum, part of your science curriculum, part of ed tech, but I think it just has to be built in there so that they can keep up and understand by the time they get out of high school, they know the rules, (laughs) they know the rules of the road, and hopefully they learn to follow them. So... Right. Now it's making me realize just like we get software updates, kids need cybersecurity updates along the way, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So instead of updating their computer, they're updating their brains. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) And, you know, we let them go after college. How do you teach them to stay up to date, like to know that he's evolving? (laughs) Unfortunately, most people learn by having a mistake, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, too many of us have done something and said, oh, I really made a mess of that. And that's how you learn. Wait, that's not the right way to, that's not the, that's not a good way to learn, but usually that's what happens to far too many people, right? I pushed that button. I shouldn't have pushed that button. I know the ramifications of that. Yeah. I don't know that I have an answer on how to continually keep people up to date. I and mean, then once their formal education is done, it's just going to be part of thinking about how you exist in this digital world and that, oh, I need to keep, to keep up to date with, you know, safety practices and things and understand the threats that are out there. You know, they talk about them sometimes in the news, oh, the latest threat coming out and, you know, this is what they're doing to take advantage of people. But I just, I don't think I have a good answer for how you solve that for the long term, but it's something that you need to be paying attention to as an adult as well. Maybe as long as we instill the understanding that they should care that Mm -hmm. will make them want to stay up to date, perhaps. Right. Right. And, you know, I always think about, you know, as an adult, you learn how to take care of yourself as a kid, but you still try to do that as an adult to take care of your health. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and it's not because we're taught to do that. It's because we know it's the right thing to do. And so thinking about this as data care, it's a similar thing, right? So I'm taking care of my physical health and taking care of my mental health, and I'm taking care of my digital health, (laughs) my data health. (laughs) That's true. I didn't stop brushing my teeth after I left school. (laughs) Correct. 
<laughs> yeah, I like, <laughs> I like that mentality. Now, <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who is interested in introducing cyber safety or cryptology in their school or classroom? Where could they start? Well, first of all, I think you have to find a way to capture the imagination of the students. And so you have to find, you know, what are the variety of means that they could find to present that information? So, you know, where are all those resources? Like I mentioned, teachcyber.org, that's one place where we can start. But I think you got to find something, you know, and that's where the games and things like that, maybe introducing some kids to the games, because that'll always catch their imagination to do that. So I think you can do that. And then you got to find, you know, you go to various resources out there, cyber.org, cyberseek.org, different organizations out there. And I think, you know, some of this may be a pulled together a little better nationally as we get the cybersecurity national strategy that's going to come out, I think, in cybersecurity awareness month. So hopefully some of this will be called out a little bit in that as well, because I know education is one of their main topics that they're trying to address in that strategy. So I just say, try to find ways to present it that make it fun. You know, my son is a high school teacher in Baltimore City Public Schools, and he always finds ways to get the kids interested. So, you know, for him, every algebra problem has to do with Lamar Jackson and the ball moving someplace, you know? How fast is the ball moving? How fast is the player running? You know, at what point will the ball connect with the player, right? So same kind of thing. If you can find fun ways to explain that, you know, cyber, you know, put that into the classroom to relate it to real life is always something, you know, that connects with those kids. That's always a good way to do it. I like that idea of just making it relevant to them. You know, don't mm-hmm. pull things about, you should care about it because you're your bank account. They're going to be like, yeah. I don't have a bank account. (laughs) (laughs) Why should I care? That's something for later. (laughs) Now, this is a true reflection question here. Given all that you've gone through, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's always easy to take the safe approach to the conservative way forward. You know, going through your career, kind of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, take these steps, not really take any challenges. But Sometimes there's something that's put in front of you that maybe you hadn't considered before. And sometimes you may have to take that leap of faith and do it, even if it's a little inconvenient, or maybe not. So the the one I use for my example is I had worked with a team back when the EP3, which was a plane, went down in China back in 2001, and I was doing a damage assessment, helping to do a damage assessment on the intelligence that was lost as a result of that. Anyway, I got to know a group of people really well and got to know the senior guy who was running that. And then after that, he called me into his office under the pretense of writing an award for somebody. He wanted me to write an award for one of the team members. So I thought that's why I was going to just talk about the award. It wasn't at all. What it was, was him spending the next hour trying to convince me that I was going to apply for a job at the CIA in Lang, Virginia. And this is why I was going to do it. doing what are you talking about and so it was him for the next hour like doing some arm twisting and keep in mind at the time I was what I was you know 40 years old I had kids in elementary school you know two working parents this was not a great idea trying to explain it but you know I have kids and they need mom at home you can work this out but you can work this out okay uh, needless to say, I took the job. I did, I did it. I applied for the job. I got the job. No shock because I knew he was going to help me get the job. He had already kind of planted that seed. And it was a horrible commute. It was horrible. However, it was the best job I ever had. And 
I learned so much as a result of that experience. Learned a completely different culture of the intelligence community, worked a really, really fun mission, met some really amazing people. And I liked it so much, I even stayed an extra year despite that horrible commute. <laughs> and so, so my point is that maybe there's an opportunity that, you know, oh, I don't think I wanna do that. That might be too hard. Take it, do it. Take the hardest classes, take something that, you know, maybe you'll fail, okay. But you'll get back up and you'll do something else that's really, really impressive and fun and, and you'll be happy for it. So that's always, I would always say, you know, look at the opportunities and take them. Yeah, and you'll never know unless you try. Correct. I could have never done that. I would have never learned, you know, about that mission. It was because of that job. I became a senior executive. I mean, it was just a whole bunch of things happened as a result that I would have never known about. Mm -hmm. So everyone take that for advice. And <laughs> Laura, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Oh, you're welcome. This was fun. And to everybody out there, data care, remember. <laughs> yeah, it's like brushing your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.